For the next two Sundays, I want to do some teaching out of John's gospel, sermons I've titled, Jesus Said It. Some things Jesus said as recorded in John's gospel. And, and to get us in the frame of mind, I want us to think about some you know, well-known, famous quotes in our American culture. That today, uh, some, some quotes from history, our American presidents that are just kind of part of our DNA. And, and I want to see how, how well you know your history. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some quotes from our presidents. And when you, if you think you know which president said this, just shout the answer out loud. You know, call out his name, okay? So let's, let's get started when I, when I share with you these different quotes. And we'll start with one that should be relatively easy for, for many of you. Which of our presidents said, four score and seven years ago, April, well, this side of the room got it. What's, what, come on now. This, Abraham Lincoln, all right? Here's another one that some of you, you, you should know this. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Are y'all with it over here? I mean, this this side's really, they're beating you bad. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, beginning of World War I, or II, rather, after Pearl Harbor. Okay, okay. Let's let's move forward a little bit. Who said... Ask not. There's a history buff over here somewhere. Yeah. John Kennedy. All right. I'm not a crook. Huh? Richard Nixon. All right. This side of the room be quiet on this one. Y'all ready? Y'all ready over here? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ronald Reagan. Y'all are just louder, right? Ronald Reagan. All right. Read my lips. No new taxes. Huh? George Bush. Which Bush? The first one. Okay. And here's, here's the last one this morning, okay? I did not inhale. <laughs> and they surprised me with that. I didn't know that was going to be there. Yeah, Bill Clinton. Okay, all right. But what about Jesus? Can you quote verbatim what Jesus said? I think as followers of Jesus, we should know what he said, don't you? Understand what he meant by what he said. In our, in our pop culture today in America, when people think about Jesus, whether, whether they're spiritual, devout, go to church, Christian, when, when they think about Jesus and they quote him, a lot of times you'll hear something like, well, Jesus said you're not supposed to judge anybody, right? Don't, don't judge anybody. Or you may hear them say, well, Jesus said we're supposed to love everyone, and in pop culture, those are the two things people normally associate with, with Jesus that they, they sort of misquote, take out of context, don't really understand, and apply it in ways at times that is, is inaccurate. So I want us to look at some things Jesus said this week and next week. And I think every year, in fact, going forward, when we're in our Bible reading plan, when we're in one of the Gospels, I'm going to preach two or three sermons 
from that particular gospel that year on some of the things Jesus said. And we'll look at three or four things he said this morning, three or four other things he said next Sunday. And I want to start in John chapter 3. So open your Bible there, please. John chapter 3. This is a, you know, this is the, the, the chapter that has the verse that a lot of people can quote. John 3, 16. You ready to help me? For God so loved the, that he gave his only begotten, that whoever believes in him should not but have everlasting all right John 3:16 and earlier in that chapter is where Jesus had this interaction conversation with a religious leader of Judaism named Nicodemus and we talked about that a few weeks ago it's where Jesus said you must be born again and we talked about the second birth new birth being born again i want us to look at two verses that are later in that chapter okay Does that rain Thank God for the rain. Thank God for the sunshine. Thank God whatever he blesses us with. All right, John chapter 3, two other verses. The first one I want us to focus on is verse 18. Verse 18, and I summarize it on the screen, the content of this verse this way. Some of you, now listen, some of you have already been judged and condemned. What Jesus says in verse 18, that's, that's what, what it means is that there are people listening to me right now in this room, on television, live stream. You have already been judged and condemned. Look at what he said in verse 18. He who believes in him. Now, the him is Jesus. Because verse 16, Jesus said, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. So he's talking about himself, but not in the first person. And then in verse 17, God did not send the Son. In other words, Jesus said, God didn't send me to do this, but rather sent me to do this. So in verse 18, he's still talking about himself, but not in the first person. He who believes in him, the one who believes in me, Jesus is saying, is not just. Present tense, your Bible may translate it condemned. He who does not believe has been judged already has been condemned already why because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God now what Jesus said in that verse goes contrary to how we normally think about the 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 judgment day it's contrary to how we think about being saved or being lost Jesus said the person who believes in him, and we'll define believes, what what does it mean to believe in Jesus a little more in a moment. But Jesus says the one who believes in him is not judged. If you are a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, have a relationship with Jesus right now, you are not under the judgment. You are not right now under the condemnation of God. But in contrast to that, The one who does not believe has been judged, has been condemned already. Already. The Greek of the original New Testament, the word translated judged here. We really don't have a a word that fully describes what it means in English. It's the picture of being brought into court... The evidence is presented, you're convicted, you're found guilty, 
and the sentence is already decided. This Greek word means all of that. We don't have an English word for that. So when Jesus said, if you're not a believer, you are already judged, already condemned. In the eyes of God, you are already found guilty. Here's the evidence. You're guilty. You're judged. You're convicted. And the sentence is already known. All of it. Jesus says, that's true of you right now. Not someday in the future. Not on the judgment day. Right now, today, this moment. That is true of you if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. I remember when my, when my father was dying with cancer. He had to uh, give a deposition. And this is when he was weak and he was, you know, chemo and all of that. And I can remember the day the attorneys and the stenographer came to our house. They set up in the dining room, and here's my dad sitting in the head chair. They'd take breaks, but for most of that day, these attorneys would take time, turns, asking dad questions as the stenographer recorded everything. Pre-trial discovery. Because in our court system, that's what happens. You, there's, you know, there's evidence gathering before it goes to court. And in court, testimony can be given. Those depositions can be evidence. All of this is presented and there's a judge or maybe a jury. And either the jury or the judge takes all of that in and after hearing all of the evidence, determines guilt or innocence. And then if you're guilty... There's another date set in the future and everybody comes back to court at which the judge then announces the sentence. That's not how the judgment day works. In our popular culture and in the thinking of many of us in the church, that's how it works, but it's not. That's not the picture the Bible paints of the judgment day. I'll describe for you what the judgment day looks like in a moment. What Jesus is saying is if you can envision all of that happening, Jesus said, if you're not a believer, that's already happened in your life. Now that's scary. Some of what we're going to see, Jesus said, will encourage you. But some of what Jesus said will scare you if you really listen to him. And you need to listen to him. You need to pay attention to it. And you need to do something about it. So that's the first thing. Some in this room are already judged and already condemned. That's your present reality because you're not a believer in Christ. The second verse is the last verse of of this chapter, verse 36. And I summarize the content of this verse. Your future starts now. Your future starts now. Your tomorrow begins today. Verse 36, he or the one, the person who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's what we already saw in verse 18. So right now, if you are a follower of Christ, you already have eternal life. Listen, eternal life is not something God gives you after death. Eternal life becomes your possession at the moment you become a follower of Jesus and you are living in eternal life now and it simply continues 
in the next life. It's not a future gift. It's a present reality. Just like those who are not believers are already living in the present reality of being under God's wrath and God's judgment. Those who are believers are already living in the present reality of having, right now, eternal life. He goes on in verse 36, but, and that's a big theological word, B-U-T. When you're reading the Bible and you see that big theological word, B-U-T, B-U-T, there's a contrast coming. Pay attention. Something important is about to be said, but... He or the one, the person who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, when he says not obey, or your Bible may translate that verse, who, who uh, rejects the Son of God. That word in the original language is the picture of the person who refuses, who is unwilling who refuses to comply with Jesus and what he says. Who refuses, who is unwilling to conform to what Jesus says, to what Jesus expects. And so we in English translate it, uh, you don't obey because you won't conform. You don't believe because you won't do what he said. There's a connection between belief and obedience, conforming. In other words, if you believe it, you do it. If you don't do it, it means you don't believe it. Because belief is not simply an an intellectual activity. It is also a decision of the will, a disposition of the will that says, I believe it, therefore I will do it. That's biblical belief. That's biblical faith. I believe it. Yes, I believe it. And because I believe it, I respond. I conform, I obey, I do. And so that, ver- that verse is saying, if, if we don't comply with Jesus, conform, obey, believe, do, then we will not see life. See, we have this idea that, that I'm going to be before God on the judgment day and he's going to investigate my life. And, and I really think on that day the good's going to outweigh the bad and therefore he's going to give me eternal life. But Jesus is saying is in the, what, what the Bible says is right now, right now, if you're not a believer on that day, you're not going to see eternal life. In fact, you're already, he says at the end of verse 38, abiding in the wrath of God. And the word wrath there means exactly what you think it means. And the word translated abiding means to live in, to stay in, to, to hang out there, to, you know, to, to stick to. In other words, right now, you are already living in, under. As we saw in verse 18, God's judgment and condemnation here under God's wrath. Why? Because of a refusal to listen to, comply to, conform to Jesus and what he says. Now, that's not what the popular culture thinks about what Jesus said, right? But it's what he said. It's what he said. And because he wants things to change in your life, that's why he came in the first place. That's why he died on the cross, because he wants everything to be different for you. And it can be. 
I want another verse, chapter 5. Turn over a couple of pages to chapter 5. This is one of my favorite verses, verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24. This should encourage you. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, he, the one who hears my word, you, you hear what Jesus says and you comply, who hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. We already saw that. So when you hear the word of Jesus and you respond to it, reply to it, conform to it, believe it, obey it, then right now already you have eternal life and does not come into judgment. You don't, you don't have to worry about the judgment of God. You don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. Why? Because he says at the end of verse 24, you have already passed out of death into life. And the word pass there is, is the picture of, of passing, crossing, going, moving. You, you're in this place and you move over there. You cross over from one location to a different location. From, from, you, you pass from one reality to a different reality. And so when you comply with what Jesus says and you believe, you, you have a relationship with him. In that moment, a miracle took place. And you, you moved, you changed, you passed over, you crossed over from where you were to where you are. From being spiritually dead to be, being spiritually alive. Remember a few weeks ago, the new birth, John chapter 3, born again. What does that mean? Is that you are spiritually dead, but because of Jesus and your relationship with him, you are born into the family of God, born spiritually, born from above everything changed before jesus you're over on this side you're in this place this reality already under the judgment and the condemnation of god but when you give your life to christ you change you move over here you pass over you cross over to this place where you're no longer under the judgment of god no longer under the condemnation of god no longer under the wrath of god but instead now you have the eternal life of god you have forgiveness of sin you have the peace of god and on and on we can go because everything changed as you move from there to here because of your walk with jesus christ your relationship with jesus christ that's what he's he's saying Last Sunday night, one night, 100 teenagers. Now, how many of those teenagers were making real decisions? I don't know. God does. But I believe most of them were. Some of them probably weren't, but most of them were real decisions. And for those for whom it was a real decision last Sunday night, guess what? In that moment, in that moment, a miracle took place, and everything changed for them. And, and, and because their present reality changed, it means their future reality changed. For me, that happened when I was a teenager. And I was home alone, and I made a decision to pray and say, I want to follow Jesus. And in that moment, now, did, did I understand all of what I'm talking about this morning in that moment? No. Do those teenagers from last Sunday night understand everything I'm talking about today? No, because... There was a progression in my knowledge. There was a progression in my understanding. There was a progression in my maturity. There's a progression in my growing love for Jesus. But it all had a beginning point. And that beginning point was when I chose to believe. 
That's the moment my reality changed. My understanding of that reality, my living out that reality develops over the years. But that reality changed when that miracle happened when I was born again, when I believed. And my present reality changed, which meant my future reality also changed. That's the miracle of salvation. And our part in that is belief. And that's where I want to finish this morning by talking about what does it really mean to believe? Because that's been repeated in all of these verses, right? I want you to go back to chapter 1. Now, this isn't something Jesus said. His disciple John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote this. And, and, and it's John's summation, if you will, his summary of Jesus' life, teaching, and ministry. Here's what Jesus is all about. He summarizes the message of this gospel, summarizes the message of what I've been looking at the past, you know, 20 20 or so minutes in these these verses. In chapter 1 of John's gospel, he begins with, um, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and on and on. and, And what he's teaching there is that Jesus is eternal and he is divine. He's God. And he teaches in those opening verses of chapter 1 that Jesus is the agent of creation. And everything, everything, everything that came into being came into being through Jesus Christ. Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus. He's eternal. Bethlehem is when he took upon himself flesh, humanity. But he is the eternal God. And then he tells us in the earlier part, in the middle, the next few verses that, that Jesus is the light of the world and, the, and, and, and this light, Jesus, came into the world and, and, and when he first came, he came to his own, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. And for the most part, they did not comply. For the most part, they rejected. Not all of them, but the majority of them. And it's in that context that he says what he said in verse 12. But, there's that theological word again. In contrast to those who rejected him, but as many as did not reject him, as many as received him, received Jesus, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What does it mean to receive Jesus? It means to welcome him. To welcome him into your life. Not just for a moment, but for all your life. Jesus, I welcome you. I welcome your words. I welcome your lordship. I welcome you into my life and I comply with. I conform to. I believe. I obey. Jesus, I welcome you into my life. And I want to spend my life in a relationship with you. And then he says at the end of the verse, that's what, really, that's what it means to believe. Those who receive him are those who believe in his name. Those who welcome him, believe. You don't believe Jesus if you don't welcome him into your life. You don't believe Jesus if you don't welcome his words and conform to his, you don't welcome Jesus by rejecting what he says. So those who receive him, those who believe him. And then notice right in the middle of that verse, he says something fascinating. He said it's those individuals. 
those individuals to whom God gives the right, or your Bible may say power, to become children of God. When the Bible says become children of God, it means that before you become a child of God, you are not, you are not, you are not a child of God. And with all my heart, and I think most of you in this room feel the same way, with all the tenderness in our hearts, we understand what everybody in our culture means when they say we're all children of God. We, we know what they mean, right? God created all of us. We all have value. We all have worth. And he loves all of us. And that is true. But it's interesting. The Bible never uses the phrase children of God to refer to all of humanity. Never. We all have value in the eyes of God. We all have worth. We all are loved. But I love people who are not my children, don't you? God created all of us. But like we looked at a few weeks ago in John, in the first part of John chapter 3, in that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, you must be born again, you must be born again, because until you are born again, you are spiritually dead. You're not in God's family. You're not his child until you're born again. Until you receive him, welcome him, and believe. He said, those are the ones to whom he gives the right or power. And the Greek word translated right or power in that verse means God gives you the right. God gives you the privilege. God gives you the authority. He gives you the prerogative. He gives you the ability. He gives you the right, the power to legitimately say, I am a child of God. But no one has that right in the eyes of God until they welcome Jesus and believe. Those are the ones to whom he gives that privilege, that prerogative, that right, that authority, that power. And if Jesus is in your life, you have the right to stand up and say, I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I'm no longer under the condemnation and judgment and wrath of God. I'm over here. I have eternal life. I have forgiveness. I have peace with God. Why? Because I'm, I'm family. I'm family. And what about you? Are you family? If, if this is that marker this is that moment of miracle if this is the moment of someone saying i believe i welcome jesus into my life and over here is before that over here is god's wrath over here is already in sin and judgment but over here is hey the other side i've crossed over to life and i've crossed over to forgiveness and i've crossed over to 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 his family here here's the question which side of that miracle are you living in today Which side of that miracle are you standing in right now, this moment? Have you had that miraculous moment of movement from death to life? Or are you buying the popular notion in our culture that, well, the judgment day, I'll stand before God and he'll investigate and hear all the evidence and I think he'll let me in. Or have you experienced that 
spiritually significant moment of salvation because you welcome Jesus into your life and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are a Jesus follower. You love Jesus. You welcome Jesus. You have faith in Jesus. You are committed to Jesus. Even if you don't fully understand it, even if you've got some growing up to do, you've had that miraculous moment. What about you? Because only those who have that moment have the right, God says, to say, I'm over here, I'm family, and I'm ready. Because without that, you're on this side, and you're already judged. And unless you make the choice to welcome Jesus and move to the other side, your future is already known. You must do something if your future is going to change. I'll close with this. There are parts of India where Christians are persecuted. Now, not the whole nation, not the whole nation, just parts of the country, certain regions. There was a there's a young man named Raven. Um, his dad died when he was 15, and obviously, well, he he was struggling and bitter. And during his latter teenage years and early adult years, he got associated with a, a radical Hindu organization that persecuted Christians. And they trained him to identify farmers out in the rural areas who uh, were Christians, and, and he would beat them up and sometimes turn them into authorities, depending on what region they lived in. Now, what was interesting was his mother the whole time was a Christian, but he loved her and didn't want to get her in trouble, didn't want to turn her in. And so he would tell his mom, he said, Mom, when you pray, shh, be quiet, don't pray out loud. So he could have plausible deniability and say, no, I've never heard her pray. He would sometimes wear headphones and listen to music so he couldn't hear his mom praying for him. When he was about 23 give or take he had a very serious motorcycle accident and almost lost his life was in the hospital for an extended time long recovery because he was no longer useful to that organization of Hindus persecuting Christians they dropped him like a hot potato didn't have anything else to do with him he wasn't any use to him anymore but his mom this, this won't surprise you will it his mom man she stuck with him stayed right by his side the whole time and when he had healed enough, she kept asking him to go to church with her. And eventually, he, he broke down and he went with her. But he, he, he didn't want to because he, he, he just knew they would hate him for all he had done. And he was just blown away by how nice they were to him. In time, he welcomed Jesus into his life. And in that moment, everything changed. That was his moment. Everything changed. He moved from over here to over there. Today, he's still a young man. He's married. He's now a pastor. Planted a Christian church. And that Hindu organization that he used to run with that persecuted Christians, guess what? They are now persecuting him. But everything changed for him and he's faithful. Your, your story is just like that and then totally different. Your story probably is not as dramatic as his. 
But there was that moment when he moved from being, I'm not welcoming Jesus to, I welcome Jesus in my life. There was that moment when he made the decision and he crossed over, he changed, everything, everything changed. As Paul said, old things passed away, all things have become new. It's a new day. As the Bible says, this is the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you hear his voice, God speaking to you, do not harden your hearts. Because you can reject Jesus and say no to Jesus for so long and so often that your heart grows hard and you don't hear his voice and you don't feel his touch. And that's a dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. So Raven had that moment. Have you had that moment? Have you had that moment when you said, Jesus, I comply. Jesus, I conform. Jesus, I welcome you. Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I believe you. And I commit myself to you. Or are you still refusing for whatever reason? Doesn't matter the reason. You're refusing to comply. Buying the lie of the culture that says oh on the judgment day God might say well your good outweighs your bad it's okay come on in but you've never had that miraculous moment of being born into the family of God because Jesus makes it really clear without this moment you will never see eternal life never because your present reality of being on the wrong side of that divine moment will be your eternal reality So will you welcome Jesus into your life now, this very moment? Will you say, Jesus, I welcome you. Jesus, I welcome you. Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I come to you. Will you welcome him into your life? When we sing this song, pastors will be standing here at the front. You come to one of these pastors. And say, I am welcoming Jesus into my life. This morning is my miracle moment. This morning is when I cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life. Come to one of these pastors and tell them today, right now, I welcome Jesus into my life. And they will lead you in prayer as you receive Jesus. And everything changes. I want us to stand. The team will lead us in singing this song. Pastors are coming quickly to the front now. And you come to them. Say, I'm welcoming Jesus today. Others come and kneel at this altar. On this kneeling bench. And pray for yourself. Or pray for people you care about. And you know they're on the wrong side of that moment. And you want to pray for them. Because you're burdened for them. Any other decisions you want to make to be baptized or join the church, come and tell one of these pastors. Father, may every man and woman, teenager, child who needs to move from the wrong side to the, to the, the heaven side, may they do it right now in Jesus' name. As we sing, you come.